The following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. I want to ask a question as we get started this morning. Um, Anybody been through storms? And and it might not be, um, I'm not talking about, I mean, if you lived in Florida, you've been through a few storms. This is the lightning capital of North America right here. So, um, so we've been through those type of storms. But have you, have you been through the storms of life? Have uh, Anybody attest to the fact that you've been through some storms, right? Um, and in those storms, um, have you learned a few lessons? Has God done any teaching during those moments in life? Uh, if, if, you're, if they're anything like the storms I've been through, there's a lot to learn. There's a lot to glean uh, there's some benefits there if uh, if if we respond uh, in faith. And so um, I, I want to ask a question because hopefully that's brought to mind uh, some of the storms. Maybe maybe you're in a few of them right now. Um, what is what is it that you have a tendency to turn to? Not if, but when the storms of life hit. What is it? And just be honest with yourself. I'm not going to ask anybody to stand up and, and share these things. So, but, I, but it's important that we're honest with ourselves. Like, I believe that we can, I believe it's the four F's for me. Like, um, so like, I believe we can either turn to our flesh in, you know, sex, drugs, rock, whatever. You know, we can, we can turn to some sort of a, a, a vice um, in order to try to, 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 to manage the moment. Um, most of us uh, often get inward and start thinking, you know, turn to our feelings and our feelings. You know, if, if, if you've heard, you know, follow your feelings, that is a lie. Uh, the Bible does not tell us to follow our hearts or our feelings. Um, we are called to walk by faith and not by sight. Um, and then there's another, there's another F that we tend to move towards in those storms of life, and it's fear. So I believe in a negative way we can we can we can resort to feelings to fear or to our flesh, and the Bible beckons us to to the one and only to walk by faith and not by sight to to allow our faith to drive us to the Father to to drive us to to the Lord Jesus um, and to trust in Him in these moments where um, we're where our flesh wants to fear, where our flesh wants to give in to our emotional content and our feelings. Um, or, and, and the fear is really an antonym of the ideal response that the Lord, the Spirit of God will beckon us to trust me here because there's a benefit. There's something that I'm wanting to show you, to impart to you. Um, I, I want to read this because I think it, it, it's good commentary as we get started on our text today. Um, this is in Matthew 7, and this is at the very tail end, intentionally, at the, uh, uh, at the Sermon on the Mount. And so Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount has given a, a ton of practical teaching on clarifying what the law was intended to, to say. And, uh, and just gets real clear about worry, um, about a litany of things, giving, fasting, prayer, 
the Beatitudes, these things, you know, shine your light, be the salt and the light, all these things. And then he ends um, with this. And listen to what this says. This is uh, chapter 7, verse 24. It says, everyone then who hears these words of mine, so there's a precursor that you hear them, and does them, if you have your Bibles open to this, I, I encourage you to highlight, underline, do whatever it takes, does them, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew, that sounds like a storm, and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had, its, because it had been founded on the rock. Now listen, verse 26 goes on to say, it says, everyone who hears these words of mine, sounds very familiar, and does not do them, that's the, that's the contrast, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew against and beat against, blew and beat against that house. That's the same storm. Uh, it's the same, same characteristics of storm. Like whether you, whether you apply God's word or not, the storms of life are common to all of us. We're going to go through storms. And it fell and great was the fall of it, it says. The only difference there, the storms are common to all of us. And, and both parties here heard Jesus' teaching. And maybe he's referring to his audience or his disciples. And he says, but the difference is those who live it out, practice it, or do it. This week in our Bible study, as we get ready to read this text, um, we looked at some familiar passage in James chapter 1. And in verse 19, it says, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, for man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. And when you read the context of that, we, we can very quickly, especially if we take it out of context, believe that this is talking about that, you know, I have two ears and one mouth for a reason, that I should probably listen twice as much as I talk, and, and practical active listening and all of those type of things. But that's not the context of the passage. James is clearly talking about the Word of God and that we should be quick listeners. And part of the connotation of that is we should be active listeners. We should sit under God's Word with the attitude of obedience. Like we should be fast to live God's Word, not to know it. The more we know and don't do, the more hypocritical we are, just as a default. Jesus told the, the guys, hey, listen, you have to do what the Pharisees say, but don't do what they do. And so really, the, the, you know, when we're, when we're listening to God's word, we should listen with, a, with an intention for obedience right from the, from the go. Like that's the, that's the reason it's given to us. Do you think that God wants us to build our house, spiritually speaking, on the rock or the sand? And the only difference is, is they both heard it. They both went through the storm, which was meant to be what? The practical expression of it. Why do you think we go through storms? I just want you to think this through. It's a rhetorical question. It's one to be pondered. But like, why do you think that God, literally, I believe that God authors storms in our lives. I believe that we'll see in this passage that he leads us he will send us, and this Mark and Matthew says, make us go into storms 
because he's got a purpose in the storm. That in the storm is where we're meant to put into practice the very words, the very teachings, the very principles that he is. This is what we see through the the journey of Jesus with his disciples. He is constantly seeking, as John points out emphatically, he's, he's pointing to his deity. John is the only one that rather than referring to them as miracles, Matthew and Mark refer to them as miracles, he refers to them as signs. What do signs do? They direct you, they point you to, and in this case, there's seven of them, and they're emphatically all doing the exact same thing. They're pointing to the deity of Jesus. Do you know that Jesus uses these storms in order to reveal his deity to them? And it's through these moments that he calls them to believe and to have faith and to trust in him. It's interesting. Um, I mentioned last week that John has some chronological variants, like it's, you know, one day, two days, and then all of a sudden, the, the, the different, and that happens all the way through chapter 5, and then when you hit the end of chapter 5, there's, there's a giant leap chronologically into chapter 6. And, and what happens in that interim, and it's interesting because it, it plays a huge role, is we see that Jesus slept on a boat, on a cushion at the stern of a boat in the midst of a storm. He was in the boat with them, and there was this massive storm on a sea that they're, as fishermen, many of them very familiar with, and in the midst of this storm, Jesus is asleep. And they wake him up with this statement, don't you care if we live or die? I think he cares, right? And, but he, he, he basically rebukes their lack of faith, and then he turns to the creation itself and says, peace be still. And guess what happens? Creation obeys immediately, right? And they marvel that, who is this that the winds and the, obey, and the waves obey him, right? And it says that they worshiped him, right? They, they were in awe of him. Now, in the occasion that we're going to read about, which is really, I mean, as far as the chronology here, it's right at, last week we did the feeding of the 5,000. Literally, we're just continuing the day, Right? But I want us to understand that they've already had an experience in a boat with Jesus and he has shown his power. He has shown his deity over creation. And now they're going to have an experience in the boat without Jesus. And what do you think that God is up to in this? The shift that we have to make as believers is that God isn't doing things as my brother Charles says, God isn't doing things to us. He's always doing things for us. He's got a glorious plan in everything. And, and, and what the enemy wants us to do is he wants us to doubt his love, his faithfulness, his goodness. But if we, if we continue to believe that God is good, irrelevant of our current circumstances, then then our eyes are opened. We're actually looking for Jesus to move and to walk into the midst of our moment and to show us his glorious plan to increase our faith, to reveal his father, his deity to us, and our faith grows. And you know what overcomes the world? The Bible says 
faith. This is what we're desperate for. It's the very thing that they were rebuked for in every occasion was their lack of faith. This is what Jesus came to, to give them. Through every experience that they faced, this is what Jesus wanted more for them. And it wasn't just faith. It was faith in him, faith in his father, confidence, radical trust. I will trust in you. We just sang about it. So right before we read this text, please understand that, that, that the Holy Spirit is the, is the teacher and, uh, and he's going to walk us through the classroom of life and his agenda is to show us the Father so that our faith would increase. He's going to grow us up you know, through these, these trials and storms and they're not, they're not meant to destroy us. The truth is, if we practice God's word, the things that he's taught us, he's always going to give us an opportunity to put what he teaches us into action. He's, he's faithful to do that. And often that feels like a storm. That feels, that, that it's because he wants to bring us, and this is so big, he wants to bring us to the end of us. He wants to bring us to our limitations so that he can show us that he doesn't have any. That's what he's doing. That, that's, that's what he's up to in these moments. You know, I bring it back to my dad. My dad had to come to the precipice of this fickle thing that we call life, right? In order for, for God to give him and show him life himself and, and the fact that now you can have it eternally in my presence. But, but that storm, like, am I thankful for my dad's cancer? You bet I am. It is the catalyst that God used to, to reason him, to reveal to him who he was. And guys, what is it going to take? What kind, man, what are you prone to turn to, not if, but when the storms of life hit? Is it a bottle? Is it... Is it, is it depression? Is it because we get wrapped up in feelings? Or do we, do we shift our gaze? Because when I, when I do that, I get very discouraged. I, I, get, I get fearful. The what-ifs start to run galore, right? But, but when we shift our gaze to him, there's a joy in the midst of our sorrow that, that is our strength. There's a hope that endures beyond the, the pain and the circumstances that we face. And, and we're going to see here that the, the antidote is this. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of the what? Faith. This is what he's building. He's building your faith, your confidence in him, so that when the storms of life hit, that you will walk out his promises and not the other options, that you will walk out the truth that he's showing you because what he's doing is he's growing you up in him so that you, you actually become somewhat immune to the, to the storm because life isn't meant to be circumstantial because when life's about happenings, we're, we're seeking happiness. But joy is, a, is, a, is, is it's an attribute of the Holy Spirit. It's a fruit of the Spirit and the joy of the Lord is our strength, Nehemiah 8.10 says. And I can do, Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
And so turn with me to John chapter 6, 16 to 21. Um, last week, I tried to interject the other, four, uh, the other three Gospels in order to give us a fuller picture of what was really happening as he fed the 5,000, because we're given four witness accounts of that particular event. In this case, we're given three witness accounts. Luke does not have a witness here. And it is so beneficial when we have others, when we have, can you imagine? It's pretty amazing. If you'd have walked through this experience where you're out in a boat in a storm for over nine hours rowing because the sails have to come down or they'll be torn, right? And you're on a sea that you grew up in. Literally six of the 12 guys grew up in Bethsaida and they're on the, they're on the shores of this same sea. They know how how volatile this particular body of, of water can be as far as storms go. And they know the consequences. They, they, they've seen it firsthand. And, uh, and, and so this, this is, we, we get the benefit of John's testimony here, Matthew's testimonies here. Many believe that Mark's testimony is Peter, that Mark was a scribe of Peter's experience. And so listen along here as we kind of Finish the day with Jesus and his disciples. Remember, they fed the 5,000. The sun was going down. They said, this is a desolate place. It's getting late. Let's send these folks off so they can get something to eat. So the sun is setting on this particular day. And now Jesus is about to make the boys get into a boat. And do you think he knows that there's a storm out there? I'm confident of that, Alex. So let's, let's read here in John six sixteen to 21. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. So here we have to understand, John has a clear agenda. He is pointing to the deity of Christ. When we read Matthew and Mark, they're sharing about the miraculous experience and their response or feelings or how they related to that. Here, John has one agenda, one to point to our inability to believe, like our, our lack and his sufficiency, his, his glory, right? And, uh, and so he speaks to them in a retrospective, uh, in verse uh, 17 here at the end, he said, it was now dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. So he's speaking to readers that are already familiar with the event, with the account. And he's saying that Jesus has, it's dark and Jesus hasn't showed up. And don't you love this word? Yet. I like that. Um, verse 18. The sea became rough because the strong wind was blowing. And when they had, when they had rowed uh, about three or four miles, some, some, some translations say three and a half miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat. And they were frightened, okay? Without the other gospel accounts, it's like, what? They were frightened? You'd think they'd be comforted. You'd think they would be like, oh, you're here. Good, we saw what you did before. Um, It says they were frightened. But Jesus said to them, it is I. He identifies himself. When you read this in the Greek, it literally speaks this way. The I am is here. Right? And that gets back to how God presents himself, how God would describe himself to Moses at the burning bush. He's basically saying, I am here. And, and I don't know about you, but if, if someone came walking out on water and, uh, and I was in a boat in the midst of a storm, uh, as the other gospel accounts conclude, uh, a ghost would be a fair assumption. 
right? In the midst of the mist and the, and the mayhem. I mean, that, that would be a fair assumption. Now, here's something we have to understand. Jewish folklore uh, in the sea community, especially in Bethsaida, was if you see a ghost on water, that is, that is a clear indicator of destruction, right? So this is, this is a part of what's going on with their, their thinking, that they're thinking, oh, this, this, is, this is not a, a good situation. Um, so verse 20, but he said to them, it is I, the I am is here. Do not be afraid. Now, uh, here's, here's my question. In the midst of circumstances that, that obviously dictate a fearful response, Jesus is calling them to not be afraid, right? Where we see in Philippians chapter four, beginning in verse four, well, I'll just jump to six. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to you. Be anxious for nothing. How are you doing with that? I mean, this, these, are, these are lofty expectations. This is a challenging statement in the midst of what's going on if we were to put ourselves in their shoes. And he says, do not be afraid. Why? I mean, was he kidding? I mean, was, 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 was this something he was calling them to? To a place where you wouldn't fear? What's required in that context to not be afraid? Faith, trust in what? In Him. Right? This, this is what Jesus is saying in this moment. This is what He says to us. Is that, I, I want you to see me for who I am. I want you to know that I'm the one that, as it says in Job 9.8, who tramples on the seas. Right? He's coming to depict the fact that, I, yeah, I'm, I'm here in skin, but I am, I am divine. I am God in the flesh. And, uh, and he's showing himself, he's revealing himself in that way. And he says, if you trust me, and, and let's keep in mind, the reason I bring up that he, they've already had an experience with him in the boat and watched him tell the oceans to close their, their mouths, right? Just to stop. Cease is how one translation puts it. And it stops, it, just like that. You know, now there, we talked in class day like that, that, that there's um, progressive revelation. Like Jesus is now moving them to another step of faith here. And he is saying to them, I'm here. This should usher in a great sense of peace. And it should be the, the very thing that, that, that um, eliminates fear. Like, what he's saying here is, is that the antidote to your fear is a complete confidence in me. And this, this is what Jesus in these circumstances are all meant to cultivate and communicate to us, is that he's the answer to our every need. And the circumstances that we face are meant to reveal the grandeur and the wonder and the glory of who he is. I'll say this later, but I, I think oftentimes we get into storms and we ask, why, why, why? When the right question, if we are the disciple and he is the teacher, the right question is, what? What are you teaching me here, Lord? What is it here that you want me to see about the wonder of who you are? And, and, and when the question changes, 
our perspective changes, our attitude changes, our heart begins to change, and we're, tra- we're, we're transformed by those moments. Then they were glad to take him in the boat. I, I, I would be too, because um, that's the last time they saw the sea calmed. Keep in mind that they were at these oars, it said, from dusk until the, the fourth watch, which is between 3 and 6 a.m. in the morning. Um, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. You know, the, the, what that speaks to me is this, is that, you know, I, I would imagine that they were hungry for the shore. You know, and, and, and the longer the storm lasted and the longer that, that, that everything went on, the more they were hungry for the shore. And when Jesus came into the equation and, and entered into their boat, right, they were, they were where they wanted to be. I mean, do we, do we see that, that, that our ultimate destination is Jesus entering our boat, the, the, that he's going to bring us? To, and it's interesting to me, too, because you'll see this as we read through the other accounts, is that when he sends them out, he sends them to Capernaum, right? Capernaum and Bethsaida were right next to each other. In fact, the western point of Bethsaida was also referred to in Capernaum as Bethsaida. So that can be confusing if, you don't, if you're reading the text. But they don't end up in Bethsaida. If you read in, later on in John chapter um, 6, verse uh, I think it's Mark, excuse me, 6.53, they end up in this place called Gennesaret. And here's, here's the thing that I, I gleaned from that, that when we go through the storms of life and we encounter Jesus in the midst of those storms, he's going to not only change our direction, he's going to change our destination. And you know what happens practically in this as you continue to go through the narrative in Mark is there's ministry there that happens to people that are hurting, sick, and lonely. And then they end up in Capernaum after that. See, I I believe God has divine appointments marked out for us throughout our lives. And I think so often it takes storms to redirect our lives. Does that relate to you? That it takes storms in order to, to move us to back to his intended path. And, uh, and so the storms of life can often redirect us to the destination that God has designed for us. Let's look at the Mark account. Mark account of the same story. Immediately, he, Jesus, made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. We're going to the other side. Is that what happened? Absolutely. To Bethsaida. That's not where they ended up. While he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. So here's the other thing that I I, I want us to see here. And I think this is a huge point. Is Jesus eliminates the distractions in order to spend time with the Father. He sends the disciples off puts them in a holding pattern, is, is, is preparing them for a glorious lesson. They're, they're being trained in, in this moment without him, stretching their faith. But he knows, and he's modeling for us, but this is not just an example to us. This is, this is, this is necessity for us. He climbs the mountain and sits down with daddy 
and spends time with the Father. It says he dismisses the crowds, right? First, he sends the disciples in the boat. And then it says that he dismisses the crowds. He eliminates the distractions, folks, and goes and sits and spends time with the Father. So here's my question. What was he about to go out in the water and reveal to these boys? The Father, his deity. So he spends time with his Father, right, in order to be that reflection, in order to be that demonstration of who he is. Do we need to follow that example? Are we desperate to eliminate the distractions, to climb the mountains, so to speak? In Mark 1.35, it says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus left the house, got up, left the house, and went to a solitary place where he prayed. When's the last time that you have had a personal retreat with the Lord? Where you've just climbed a mountain and sat at his feet and said, Show me your glory. When's the last time? So that, so that yes, you can be a demonstration, a reflection, a represent, a represent his glory to the world, but that you might be the one that first experiences. Because remember what we, we, we said last week was the precipice or the, what had gone on prior to this, this, this moment? John the Baptist was beheaded. His friend, his forerunner, was brutally killed by Herod. And on top of that, his disciples had just come back from a a, a massive ministry journey and they were reporting to him and then they head out on this boat that they expect to be a a restful, you know, encounter and it ends up being the feeding of 12 to 15,000 people and more ministry. And Jesus climbs a mountain to spend time. But, But keep in mind, he was intentional about eliminating the distractions, right? So that he could spend time with the Father. So, um, end of verse 46 says, when he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch, which we said is between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., so they've been out there for nine hours now, arguably more, of the night he came to them walking on the sea. Guys, do you believe that Jesus walked on water? You believe, do you believe Jesus walked on water? Guys, look, this is a legitimate question because what do we believe about Jesus? Who do we believe that he is? What, is, what do we believe that he's capable of doing? That, that's, that's, that's where it's at. He is trying to show us here that he is, he doesn't have any limitations. He's not bound by the things in creation that we are because he's God. He is the author of these things. And he wants to, he wants, he wants to lift the lid off of your faith in him. He wants to get out of the box that you've built for him. He wants you to know that he can walk above and on and over the circumstances, the storms of your life. That he's powerful. He's a powerful God. And you're loved by this powerful God. He walked on water. He meant to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified because of their perception. 
But immediately he spoke to them. And don't you love it that it's immediately? Because here's what I also want to say. Um, could he have gone out a little earlier? I mean, that's, that's a long time to be in a storm and to be buffeted by winds and waves. Guys, let me ask you a question. Have you been in a, a storm for a long time? Have you been in a storm long enough to say, Jesus, where are you? Like, why, why, why is it this long? Do, do, you, do you think that they were just wishing and hoping that Jesus would be? But yet they didn't give him enough credentials to come out to them on the water. They didn't conclude that it's Jesus. Even though he was close enough to tell them that it was him. Because that wasn't in their scope of what he was capable of. It's interesting to me that at the end of this particular passage, it says this, and I'll read it then and now, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Seems random. But that was a sign that pointed to his deity. Their hearts were hardened to the fact that he was God in the flesh. And this was, this was no exception. Guys, what does it take for us to believe that Jesus is exactly who he says he is? What does it take? You know, it's interesting to me because in Matthew 28, look this up for yourself, right before the, the Great Commission, this whole piece, they're, they're standing, they're, they're looking at the, the, the resurrected Christ who's shown up behind locked doors, has just, you know, for 40 days he's been on the planet, right? And, and it says that, and he ascends, right? And it says right there, that, talking about the 11, you know, the 12 minus Judas, it says this, listen to this, it says, and some doubted. Talking about the 11 disciples, and some doubted. At that point in the game. So my question is, what does it take for us to believe in this, that Jesus is exactly who, that he is God, like God, the one that created all. It actually says that he sustains all things by his power, talking about Jesus, that he is, he is God himself, that he took on skin, humbled himself to the point of humanity, came to, for, the, for the mission of dying in our place, because nobody else could, that Jesus was God. God, because that's what John, through the whole book, is trying to point out, is that Jesus is God. He's the long-awaited Messiah. And listen, I, I love this, because I, I, I need to mention this. We talk about this at the beginning of the letter when we started going through the, the, the Gospel of John. But the, the purpose of the book, many people will point to the thematical verse of John as John 3.16, right? But but John says very clearly about the letter himself that this is the purpose of the book. And he, he says this in verses 30 and 31 of chapter 20. And he says, Now Jesus did many signs or many other signs. Again, he doesn't call them miracles. He calls them signposts, like pointing signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written. Okay, so now we're going to find out why these signs are written about so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. 
This is the intention of the Holy Spirit written in the Gospel of John. It's that we might know that he's the Son of God. Do you know what's interesting? At the end of the Matthew account, and we're going to get to that in a moment, their, their declaration is this. You truly are the Son of God. Do you know that they say that nowhere else in the Gospel of Matthew? But in this moment, when he comes into their boat and rescues them from their storm and reveals his deity to them, they make the declaration in a moment of worship, it says, that you are the Son of God. But yet, there are moments later where they're told that they doubt and have little faith and they're running and hiding behind locked doors. Do you relate? I know I do. Do you have these moments where you have these mountaintop experiences and you're like, if you go, I'm going. It's a, I believe you, you're, you're everything. And then the, the, the next storm comes. And we wander back into our flesh and our feelings and our, and our fears. And, and this is a progressive work. And this is meant to answer my question that I ask. What does it take to trust and believe that he's the son of God? Guys, I believe what it takes is it takes a litany, a progressive litany of storms in our life. We don't default to faith. It's birthed in us. It's cultivated in us. James says, count it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance through what? Storms. Through the testing that you might be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. God's not doing these things to whatever you're facing, guys. He's not doing it to you. He's doing it for you. He's got something glorious. Do you think that they, they were glad for the revelation on the other side of the, the, the difficult night, the storm they went through? Do you think that, that what they gleaned from the moment of the vision, the experience, the wonder, the, the increased faith, was it worth the storm? Paul says, in light of the momentary and light affliction, we, we have a, in this moment in, in, uh, in, in, in Corinthians, he's saying that when I look back with a heavenly perspective, that is light stuff compared to what I've been given through it is a greater revelation of who he is. God is giving himself to us in the storms of life. God is showing himself to us in the storms of life. God is bringing out the, the weakness and the frailty. And that's not, his, that's not his ultimate agenda, but he's showing us our desperation and our need and how fickle and frail we are in the storms of life, but how magnificent and glorious and limitless he is. This is what he's doing. So we, I want to, um, let's see, I don't think I finished Mark. So I'm going to pick up in verse 49, just before 49. He meant to pass them by, because I know I read that. But, then, then, but, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they, for they all saw him and were terrified, but immediately he spoke to them. I, 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 that's where I stopped. Immediately he spoke to them. He, he, and what, what, what he says here is meant to bring comfort, is it not? It's meant to bring faith. It's meant to bring a rich confidence that, that I am here, so you are, you are safe, you are good, you are, I am present. 
Um, But immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Don't no longer have this response. Verse 51, and he got into the boat with them. He got into the boat with them and the wind ceased. He didn't even have to speak this time. And they were utterly astounded again. And they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Do you see how that seems a little bit like what? But that's, that's the whole point. The loaves, the fishes, all of this stuff is meant to point to his deity. And he is emphatic about revealing himself because ultimately what he's doing, when you've seen me, you've seen him. He's showing us the father because he is. They are. They, he's the, Hebrews 1 says he is the exact imprint. Matthew 14, 22 to 33. And this is the third account of this. And I did this one last intentionally. It says immediately, he, Jesus, made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on a mountain by himself to pray. We talked about that. When evening came, he was alone. He was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. Verse 25. For in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when his disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. They cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him. Now, this is a a nuance that we see in in no other gospel. But Mark's account, I mean, Matthew's account brings forth Peter's response here. And we know Peter is one of those guys that kind of jumps quickly to conclusions as well as opportunities. And he says, Lord, if it is you, command me to come out, to come to you on the water. Question, why didn't he just get out of the boat? Why did he ask? Because he knew he needed a command. He knew he needed permission. He knew he needed the word of God in order to stand. Guys, when Jesus says come, because he does here, when Jesus says come, what is your posture? Is it go? I mean, this, this was an incredible... So often Peter gets chastised by the fact that he sank. But I don't have an account of somebody else walking on water but Jesus. And Peter, Peter walked on water when he answered the command to come. When he stepped out of the boat. Guys, do you realize that in this moment, Peter makes a statement of faith. He says, it's safer with you than it is in this boat. That's a statement of faith. That, that it's what a disciple wants. It, in, in Jewish connotation, if a rabbi is doing something, what is the purpose of the disciple? What is the learner, the student supposed to do? To do what the, disciple, the, the rabbi is doing in order to emulate, in order to one, one day demonstrate the same action. And so Peter is truly being a disciple here. He's following Jesus. He is seeking to be in his presence because he believes it's better where he is than where... Than where Jesus is than where he's at presently. And he gets out of the boat. So here's my question. What, what is your boat right now? What is your comfort zone? What is your false sense of security? What are you holding on to when Jesus is constantly saying, come, 
Or have you yet to say to Jesus, call me into your presence. I want to I go where you are. Because look, I mean, we have a tendency to kind of embrace our comfort zones, to hang on to our securities that we feel are a sense of, but they're, but they're frail, aren't they? They're fickle. They lie to us. Jesus is an eternal. He's the rock to build our life upon. And in that, in that situation, it's his word. And Jesus gave his word. He said, come. And Peter stepped out in faith. What does it look like for you to step out of that boat? I don't know what your boat is. I know the Holy Spirit's doing a work in your heart right now. But what does it look like to step out of that boat? What does it look like to ask Jesus for the permission to come and then to answer the call? He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on water. The very thing he feared the very thing that was causing him terror and chaos, he now is walking on it. And he came to Jesus. I love the ESV there. If you, if you study it through, that's exactly what it says. That he literally comes to Jesus. He is, he is in his presence before he loses his focus. And then it says this, and this is the big but. But when he saw the wind What's the problem? That's exactly right. He lost his gaze. He lost his focus. Man, please hear this. You will be consumed by what you focus on. The eye is the lamp into the body, right? Jesus said, like what you focus on, this is not only just our eyes, that's, a, that's an indicator, but it's, it's what our desires, our hopes, our dreams, talked about like laying down every dream, every single one of them in the song we sang this morning. Guys, he lost his focus. And here's the thing. He was consumed no longer by Jesus, but by the winds and the waves, and he sunk. Guys, if you put your focus on something other, listen, God's designed us to be those that, that we're made to serve. We're made to worship. We're made that. We're designed, but we're made for one. Everything else will destroy us. So if you, if you focus on your problem, guess what? You're going to be consumed by your problem. If you, if you focus on an idol in your life, you're going to be consumed by that idol. It will destroy you. It will consume you. It will riddle your life with fear. But if by faith you, you lock your focus, seek Him with all of your heart, mind, strength, and soul. If you, you know... Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. Because that's what he's doing in this moment is he's growing, stretching your faith. The storm has a purpose from God's perspective and it's meant to grow you. It's meant to benefit you. It's, it's, yes, it might be pruning you, but it's for greater faithfulness, greater fruitfulness. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. See, our feelings are a response to our focus. What are you focusing on? Jesus deserves demands, desires that we would focus on him because he knows that's where life is. That's where our hope, he's our living hope. That's where hope is found. That's where faith resides. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and he began, began. He didn't sink. He began to sink. 
And he did the right thing again. He stepped out of the boat. That was the first step. That was a good step. Next step, he cries out to Jesus, Lord, save me. Guys, look, we're, we're, we're going to lose our gaze at times. But here, Peter gives us a, a good example of when you do, cry out. And don't you love that it says immediately? Don't you love that? That first, get out of the boat. Get out of your false sense of security. Take a step in Jesus' direction. Make him your aim, your focus, your destination, right? And then if you, when you fall, when you lose your focus and your fear, your, your emotions, your feelings, your flesh kind of take over, do what Peter d- does here. He, it says, I, I love that it says it this way. He says, he cries out as he, be, as he began to sink. How many of us wait till we're sunk? We're bubbling, you know, we're... You know, like, as he began to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Do you know that Jesus, yes, he saved us from the pit of hell? He did. He did. He rescued us. But do you know that he continues to save us in in ways that are unique and personal and discreet and amazing? And here Peter is saved, but he cried out to to the Savior. And that was a good response. Verse 31, Jesus, I love this, immediately reached out his hand and took a hold of him. Listen, Jesus waited nine hours to show up on the scene. But it seems like the moment that we, he, they, they started asking for him and for his help. I mean, look, sometimes we want help that Jesus is, is, is postured to give differently. And we have to want what he wants. And we have to, and here, obviously, by his actions, he defines that this is what I long to do for you is to save you, to rescue you. And then he says, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Doubt what? Doubt me, my power, my presence. Verse 32, and when they got into the boat, the wind ceased and those in the boat worshiped him saying, truly, you are the son of God. That was a, a worshipful declaration of truth and the, the, the true reality of Christ. That's the no. I'm going to give you the grow and then the final segment will be grow or show or go or show. So here we've talked about what we need to know. And then here's the pieces that I think that we can grow from. And I'm just going to share some things that I've gleaned from this passage. First, I start with a, a commentary that I found that I thought was great. Sadly, most of us, quickly forget in the darkness what seems so clear in the light. As the disciples continually learned, we, we depend on tangible evidence more than we ought. Our senses, though valuable gifts, are, have limitations. As soon as Jesus left his disciples, they forgot the amazing power he had shown them so recently. But before we chide, before we chide, chide the, their lack of faith, we need to examine our own. How much of our spiritual life is a series of peaks, peak experiences of God's nearness followed by declines? When we can't feel God's presence, do we assume that he is not there and that he cannot help us? God's presence and help should come as a welcomed expectation, not as a frightening surprise. A few other thoughts. Jesus passed by them to give them a glimpse of his glory, practical evidence of his deity. I mentioned Job 9, 8. It says, 
you speaking about how God created the Pleiades and the bear and the Orion, like the stars and all of their constellations. And in the midst of this piece that, that Job is stating, he says, who alone stretches out the heavens and trampled the seas or the waves of the sea? So there's, a, there, there's historical scripture that would point to Jesus' deity in this, in this act. How does Jesus calm their terror? Think about it. How does Jesus calm their terror? By announcing his presence. By announcing his presence. Multiplying the loaves and the fish and walking on water still left the disciples with a hard heart. What would it take to convince them of his deity? And you know what? If we follow the, 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 the narrative, more storms, more tests. With Jesus on the scene, fear turned to faith and then to worship. I thought that was pretty powerful. The Lord of creation is on the scene, demonstrating the power over his creation. They were, they were, they were, excuse me, they were comforted by his presence and his word. So let me, let me ask you a question this morning. Are you comforted by his word? Is that, is that a place that you turn when the storms of life hit? Do you seek the comfort of his word and do you believe in the, the promise that I will, never, I will never leave you or forsake you? Jesus said, I'm with you till the very end of the age. And then I had a thought. Do you ever feel like the disciples beaten by the waves for the wind was against them? Jesus sent them into this moment to reveal himself to them. Do you think that when you are facing the winds and waves of life, maybe the Lord is testing your faith and preparing to reveal himself to you? These are the necessary environments for growth. Our faith in him, to see him for who he really is, the great I am. Another thought. Faith is a mindset that expects God to be faithful. When we act on this expectation, we can overcome our fears. I'll say that again. Faith is a mindset that expects God to be faithful. In your presence, oh, excuse me, uh, is your perspective, this interesting thought, is your perspective of following Jesus that this will pre- prevent hardships in my life and give me favor for earthly success? Because that's not what the promises of Jesus or the life of Jesus demonstrate. Once we realize that this journey with Jesus is a constant classroom of him revealing himself to us so that he can give himself to us, we stop asking why And we start asking, what are you teaching me? What can I learn and glean from this moment? Do you know that the abundant life is wrapped up in God giving us himself? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth. Like he's giving us himself life. Another thought, we often face spiritual and emotional storms that feel um, and feel tossed about like like a small boat on a big lake. In spite of terrifying circumstances, if we trust our lives to Jesus for his safekeeping, he will give us peace in any storm. So now I'm going to give you the go or the show. Okay, so we talked about um, know, grow, and now this is the go or the show. And so I'm going to give you, these will be on a slide, and I'm just going to point out these five or six points. Um, I think this passage challenges us to obey Jesus' commands. And even if it means sending us into a storm, 
It means going where he leads us to go. I love in, Mar- in Luke chapter 5, they said, because you said so, Lord, we will go. Jesus told Peter to come to him on the water, even though it made no sense. No sense. Peter did what Jesus said. This, what, uh, this is what obedience looks like, doing what Jesus says. And then here's a question for you, and I'm going to ask you a question at the end of every one of these. Is there any area in your life that you are not obeying the Lord right now? Is there any area in your life where you're sitting in the boat? Number two, faith is a simple is simply taking the next step. Faith is simply taking the next step. So often we turn uh, the Christian life into some waiting for this monumental step of faith when faith is really just just moments of obedience. Peter took one step to get out of the boat and onto the water. Peter was focused on Jesus and got into trouble when he lost his focus on Jesus. Here's the question. What next step has Jesus asked you to take? What's the next step that Jesus wants you to make in your life? Number three, faith in Jesus unleashes the supernatural. Faith in Jesus unleashes the supernatural. Peter did not experience the supernatural power of God that allowed him to walk on water until he trusted Jesus' command, his word, as evidence by his action. So here's the question. Is there anything you need to be doing differently by faith? Number four. Fear will sink you. Fear will sink you. My subtitle for today's message was Fear Comes in Waves. Right? Um, fear will sink you. When Peter had faith, he walked on water. When he had fear, he sank in that same water. The same is true of us. Fear will sink you. Here's the question. Is there any fear that is gripping and controlling your life? and your ability to walk by faith and make good decisions, God-honoring decisions. Is there any fear that is gripping or controlling you? And finally, number five, you can choose to worry or to worship. You can choose to worry or to worship. In an instant, the men went from worry about their circumstances to worshiping the Son of God. And here's the question. Is your life a living sacrifice? As I mentioned earlier, let your worship of Jesus overcome your anxiety and your worry. The final slide as the worship team comes to sing this song called Walk by Faith um, is this. Be not afraid. Jesus walks on water. Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org.